Question for you this morning. What do you hope to get out of Easter? What do you want? Look towards Easter. What do you want? What do you want to get? I have a confession. Um, For me, often, very often, I find that Easter comes and goes and I feel a little disappointed. I feel a little let down, like it it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, It it didn't do for me what I expected it to do. Um, Part of that is, is I realize I'm asking the wrong question. Because I'm asking myself that same question I just asked you. What do I hope to get out of it? And even if I answer that in spiritual terms, well, I... I want to be closer to God. I want to know Him better. I still submit to you that that's the wrong question for why we celebrate the resurrection. It's the wrong question. Because as we said a minute ago, if you get anything else out of the day, if you ignore me the rest of the time, that's fine. But remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It is about Him. It's all about Him. And even if we we try to make that question something spiritual, I think we'll miss something very, very important about the resurrection. Not that the resurrection doesn't change us. It's not that it doesn't affect us. It's just not about us. Let me give you a great example. In the early church, it was full of Jewish believers. And they did something because of the resurrection radically different than they had ever done. In thousands of years of history, they did something radically different than they had ever done. In their existence, they always stopped, rested, worshipped on the seventh day. They called it the Sabbath. That's what we call Saturday. After the resurrection, they did something very counter-cultural, very un-Jewish, very sacrilegious almost. They began meeting on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And they celebrated the resurrection every single week. It had such an impact on them, such an effect on them, that they celebrated, they worshipped on a Sunday every single week. And it wasn't to be countercultural. It cost them. Think what it would be like if you were trying to evangelize to your Jewish neighbor. Hey, come meet on Sunday. Wait a minute. How how? How could you do that? We always rest and worship on Saturday, on the Sabbath. Why would I do something different than God laid out in the book of Genesis? He rested on the seventh day. Why would I even think about doing that? See, it cost them to celebrate on Sunday. In terms of evangelism, in terms of the way their neighbors looked at them. And yet for them it was important because of what the resurrection meant to them. 
there's very little evidence that the very early church celebrated an Easter, a yearly event of the resurrection. They did it every week. You read in the book of Acts that Paul was hurrying to be back in Jerusalem for Pentecost, not for Easter. Think if he was hurrying to be back in Jerusalem, he would have gone back for the celebration of the resurrection. He went back for another Jewish festival. They celebrate it every week. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have the right to celebrate the resurrection every year, to, to do something special. Um, it's very biblical that, that God's people would add celebrations. You read the book of Esther. Uh, they added a celebration. They added a holiday to their calendar, which was already full of celebrations from God from the Old Testament. The Feast of Purim. They added that as a celebration. It's in the Bible. Something wrong with us doing that it's just that we do that every week. Um, and so that was my problem. I was thinking, oh, what do I get out of this? And, and the question is, it's not really about me. It's, it's, how can I glorify God this Easter? How can I make sure that it's all about Him and not about me? And I really, I didn't, I mean, I, I should have gotten that. We, we read through the Bible sometimes, and sometimes there's these aha moments where you read something and you go, oh, that is so cool, look what God did. And then sometimes there are those duh moments where I can't believe I never saw that before. And I had one of those duh moments recently, and it came from Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 20 this morning. So if you would turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, uh, the 20th chapter beginning in verse... 17, and I want to share with you my duh moment, because I did think it was about me, and as I read this, I realized that I was very much like James and John and the other disciples. Beginning in verse 17, we read these words. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way He said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death, and, he will, ha and, and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify Him, and on the third day He will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one in your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, that is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to be become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Would you pray with me, please? 
Father, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would open our hearts and minds and that you would change our wills and that we would be like you. God, that we would see you this morning and we would understand and we would change. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In this story, everybody's ascending. Everybody's going up. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem physically, but in a sense also spiritually. He's going to His glory. And the disciples want to carry on with that. They want to go to glory too. It's just that Jesus and the disciples have a different picture of what glory is. For Jesus, that glory is a a cup that He is going to drink. In the Old Testament, uh, the cup was very often signified as God's wrath that He was going to pour out on those who were disobedient. Jesus is going to glory, but He's going to partake of a cup. A cup that He's going to share with all of us in one sense. We'll talk about that in a minute. The disciples, on the other hand, are going up to a different glory. Because Jesus told them earlier in Matthew's Gospel that they were going to sit on 12 thrones. This is the best I can do for a throne this morning. So that means Wes is king and Gigi's queen. This is what they were looking for in terms of glory. A throne. Power. They were going up all right. They were ascending in prominence in their position. And James and John thought, you know, we're, Jesus kind of hangs out with us a lot more than the other ones, and Peter too, but I bet, I bet if we asked, not only are we going to sit on 12 thrones, we're going to sit on the best too, his right hand and his left hand. That's where we're going to be. So they ask. Can we? Do we get to do that? Can, can we... Can we be that powerful? And Jesus says, well, there's a a cup you've got to drink. Oh, yeah, we can do that. We're fine with that. We're we're fine sitting in our throne, right, and and taking the cup. Because that's that's what kings do, right? Right? They they sit on their throne. They have someone serve them their wine. And we can do that, Jesus. I wonder how Jesus felt. Because He's just told them for the third time now, I'm going up to die. And their response is, that's nice, but can we talk business? You see, there's, there's important details that need to be worked out in your kingdom. You've got Secretary of State, you've got Secretary of Defense. You got, who's going to be in charge, really? Jesus. And James and John and I, we're, you know, we're, we're capable we're your right-hand men anyway, right? You're, you're the one, we're the ones that you've taken in to do special things before. The, remember that when you raised that little girl from the dead, you told everybody to stay outside and you took us and Peter too, right? For them, they missed the cross because the question was, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And what Jesus says is, yeah, we're going up to glory, but it's, it's different than what you think. For Jesus tells us very plainly that we are ascending, we are going up 
to serve. That's the point. Verse 23, he says, My cup you shall drink. (laughs) Not the one they were thinking of. James would, would drink that very early on. Very early on, he would be put to death with the sword. Herod would kill him for his faith. John would, would drink the, the cup much later in, in exile on the island of Patmos. Yeah, you'll drink that cup of suffering. But guys, you're, you're missing the point. It's, he tells them several things why they've missed it. Number one, it's up to God what He does. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's not how you performed in the past. It's what is God's will? He's the one that's going to assign those positions. God is the one who's going to dole out whatever rewards need to be doled out. You're asking the wrong person. I'm going up to to fulfill a mandate that God has called me to fulfill. Second, guys, you're acting just like the people that you despise. He says in verse 25, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Guys, step back and think for a second. The Romans who occupy us, who rule us, that you despise, that you hate. Why do you hate them? Because they have authority over you. Because they're in power. That's what you're saying you want. You want to be in power just like the Romans. Oh, and you other ten, don't think you're not part of this. You're mad at James and John because you didn't think of it first. He doesn't say that. But the ten are are ticked off at James and John for requesting this. It doesn't say it, but I'm convinced it's because they didn't think of it first. God, they beat us to the punch. I I wanted those two seats. I wanted to sit by Jesus in the kingdom. You're acting just like the Romans. You you get in power and then you elbow one another to see who can be more important. Who can be a little higher. You're being just like the person that you despise. And then finally he says, your focus is off. Verse 26, it shouldn't be this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Servants and slaves. That's not what I was looking for, Jesus. I wanted wanted to sit here and I wanted to drink that and have people serve me. I want to know what I can get out of this. What's in it for me, Jesus? And he says... Nothing's in it for you. It's not about you. It's about those people around. It's ultimately about me, but look around. Where are you serving? Who are you willing to submit yourself to as we go to glory? Who are you willing to say, you know what, it's not worth it to be right? Think about in our family. Husbands and wives. We're going to talk about husbands and wives when we get to Colossians and, and roles and what that looks like. But just 
a teaser, regardless of, of how you look at those passages about submission and, and headship. What underlines all of that is, are you willing to serve? There is no glory as a husband or a wife without service. Parents, children, obedience and honor and not exasperating those that are under our care. Again, it's not about who's, who's more in control, who's in power. It's, it's about service. What does that look like? As we gather in, in fellowship as a body of believers, as we relate to one another, do we walk in those doors thinking, what am I going to get out of today? What's in it for me? How can I be encouraged? And I hope that you are. Or do we walk through those doors thinking, how can I serve those around me? How can I get out of my comfort zone maybe and, and introduce myself to someone I've never introduced myself to before to? Or am I, am I just wanting to be comfortable and only talk to those people that I always talk to? that make me comfortable, that I have something in common with? Or am I willing to get out of my comfort zone and, and serve somebody and shake a hand that I don't really know who they are and introduce myself and maybe be a little awkward in conversation because I don't, I don't know what we have in common yet. It's about sacrificing for one another, which is what Jesus says in 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. The ultimate sacrifice, which led to the ultimate glorification. He gave His life as a ransom for many, not a few, not a couple, not just James and John. For many. In John's gospel it said, For God so loved the world. I don't know that you can get many more than that. That He gave His only begotten Son. A sacrifice. We've been talking about uh, Easter for about three or four weeks now. And, and three weeks ago I asked you to, uh, as we talked about Jacob, who would you be if God had not intervened in your life? Or... What is your besetting sin? What is your name when God is not a part of who you are? I ask you to spend a week thinking about that. Who are you if, God's, if God hasn't changed you? And then a couple weeks ago, I asked you to think about how big that gap is between who you were or maybe sometimes even still who you are and who God is. Think about that difference, that, that gap. And then last week I asked you to just begin to read through some of the passion narrative and, and ask yourself, what did Jesus give up? Not just his life, but what else did he give up that that gap might be closed? And so this week I want you to think about what you want to get out of Easter. And then is that the right question to ask? Because God acted not for our sake. That seems a little strange. Well, yeah, He went to the cross to die for us. Yes, He did. But He did that for His name's sake. 
The only reason that we sit here and worship God is because He thought His name was important enough to be glorified through you. And so He sent His Son to die for you. It blows me away when I think about it. Because I, I know for a good chunk of my Christian life, I kind of thought it was about me. Well, yeah, He died for me. But you read the Bible carefully, and there's, a, there's something that happened before that. All of that was done for His glory. You read through the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 1, and three times in chapter 1, what the Father did was to the praise of His glory. What the Son did was to the praise of His glory. What the Spirit did was to the praise of His glory. Three times. And over and over and over again throughout the Bible you see that God does things for His glory. I would encourage you sometime to get a concordance or a, some maybe on a computer and just search that term, for His glory, and see how often that appears in Scripture. So this week, I want you to think about Easter. And I want you to maybe... And maybe I'm the only one. If I am, that's really good. I'm glad. But I want you to reorient the way you think about Easter. And how can I bring God glory this year? As I celebrate the resurrection, what can I do to those around me, to my family, those I love, my neighbors? How can I serve to bring God glory. And then, as we do that, my hope and my prayer is, is that we, when we celebrate the resurrection on April 8th, when we gather together and do that, um, that it'll be different. That we'll leave, maybe with a, a, a better glimpse of what we're supposed to be about as a body and as individuals. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your love. And we thank You for Your grace. And we thank You that You did die for us. But God, I pray that You would open our eyes to the truth of the matter that we are here for the purpose of giving You glory and honor and praise. So God, as we go through our week, as we go through our days ahead, as we interact with our spouses and our children and our parents and our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to how we can serve those around us. And may they see you in us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.